Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The World Series is the nothing personal word of the day. We've got a Samson sit down and we are lucky. We've got Tyler Kepner with us, who is the baseball columnist for the New York Times, but a best-selling author with a brand new book out that you should get. It is quite fascinating because maybe you might read about the Marlins in the World Series. It's called The Greatest Stage, A History of the World Series. Welcome to Nothing Personal, Tyler. How are you? Pretty good, David. How are you been? Uh, you are on it. We're on the tour right now, right? Promoting the yeah. book. <laughs> yep. Yep. I want to get right into it because I, I go back and I'm going to make this about me for 10 seconds. Sure. When we got the patch, the way it works in baseball, as you know, is there's a patch that goes on the jersey when you win the pennant. Mm-hmm. And we were the 100th World Series was the 2003 World Series between the Yankees and the Marlins. And I still have jerseys with that patch on it. And that's not the patch when you win. That's the MLB general logo for the 100th World Series. What made you you're you're, you're a best-selling author. Your books are phenomenal. Uh, what made you do this one? Um, well, I've just always loved everything about the World Series um, ever since I was a kid. Um, I went to the game for the 83 World Series when I was eight years old. It was an afternoon game at the Vet in Philly, where I'm from. And, uh, you know, they lost, but I still remember that um, crystal clear. And I think about it a lot and and just how magical that was. And then, you know, to get to the point, um, you know, where I could cover it every year, um, which I've done since 98, um, is just, uh, you know, something I, I try to never take for granted. I still get really excited. Um, you know, covering it and trying to notice things. And I've always just kind of had a, a, a way, I guess, of, of you know, a, a natural curiosity, which leads me to down a lot of different roads, which I think are interesting to uh, to readers. Is that how you decide what your next book is going to be? Is it, Do you first start with you have to have a certain level of curiosity because of the work that's necessary? Uh, for example, how long would it take to put this book together? Uh, this book and my last book were both three years each. So, um yeah, and you're absolutely right. That's that's what I, that's kind of my internal requirement is I've got to have a, a topic that I'm just uh, naturally interested in, right? Like I would I would want to know this even if I wasn't writing a book. So um, that's kind of how I approach it because you're pour, you're pouring so much of yourself into it, so much time and effort, and um, you got to enjoy it and you got to be passionate about the, the the subject. And people who know me, um, you know, they're always like, you know, they know that I'm the one who's going to remember. Uh, 
crazy stuff about the World Series or I can go to, you know, just offhand without even needing the uh, <laughs> needing the computer sometimes. It's just uh, kind of the way my brain organizes things around uh, who started which games in the World Series. So how do you answer this question? And we would talk about it at owners meetings all the time where what the ratings were for the World Series and the fact that a regular season NFL game would outdraw a World Series game and it would drive Bud Selig absolutely crazy and now it drives Commissioner Rob Manford crazy. When you think about and you name the book The Grandest Stage, what about you believes that the World Series is the grandest stage? Sell it to me and the other listeners. I'm there because it's my love, but why is the World Series in your mind the grandest stage versus the other championship for NBA, for NHL, the Stanley Cup, for NFL, et cetera? Yeah, well, it's got the uh, it's got the the longest history for one thing, so the, the most tradition behind it. Um, we saw a walk-off homer, in uh, the playoffs by Jordan Alvarez. And we can say, well, it's the first time it's ever happened um, where, you know, a team's trailing by multiple runs and hits a walk-off homer in the postseason. And, and, and that feat is made more special, I think, because you can go back to 1903 and think this event, this postseason has been around for so long, um, 1903. And something that we're seeing now has never happened. Um, so like Jorge Soler last year, it's, the, it's a home run to lead off the World Series. And that had never happened before um, in any of the World Series. So um, that lends, I think, an even greater sort of um, significance and meaning um, to the World Series because it's it has been around so long. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's a lot longer than a, than a Super Bowl, right? I mean, it's uh, it's it, Super Bowls, what, three and a half, four hours. And the World Series is six, just, you know, four to seven games, each going three plus hours. Um, so you just add it up. It, it, it's a whole week of, of uh, action and of, as you remember from your uh, World Series with the Marlins, like the, the way the emotions and the expectations can change, right? I mean, the Marlins win game one, they get game one on the road. And then the Yankees reassert themselves in game two, and then they beat Beckett in game three. So it's like, oh boy, now you got, you know, Clemens and David Wells and Pettit, and it's, it's not looking so good. But then the Marlins come back and win four and five, and then they go, you know, like it just, it takes you on this kind of emotional, um, you know, ride. And, uh, and I think just having that um, in such a compressed amount of time, like the, you know, the NBA and, and NHL, they, they drag that thing out for, for a couple of weeks. You know, you have one game and then you got to wait two, three days for another one. Um, baseball, it's it's the next day or a travel day and then another one. Like they're playing these games quickly. And um, and it's just, you know, it's the kind of thing you remember forever. You talk to players. They know they can tell you exactly what happened. Um, Did it's, you it's know that the Marlins had three three game winning streaks in 2003 playoffs? Each series against the Giants, the Cubs, and the Yankees, we had a three-game winning streak to close out the series. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Obviously, the uh, the LCS there um, is 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 so memorable. But I think that was that was a really compelling World Series too. I mean, just really good games throughout. Um, and and how the Marlins are the team that ended up kind of crashing the party there of with the Cubs, Red Sox, and Yankees uh, before the Cubs and Red Sox had won. Um, their championships uh it was the marlins who, who pushed through and you look back at that team and <clears throat> it's not as surprising as it was at the time because that was a really really good team um you know with, with great young players at the start of uh of their career so um it's easier to understand in hindsight maybe than than when it was going on but when it was going on it was still pretty exciting so what is your favorite world series i'm not going to ask you to a top five because i don't know if you have the time but i'm just going to go right to number one what to you was the best world series of all time 
1991. That's what I go with. Um, the Twins and the Braves. I mean, seven games. Atlanta had never hosted a World Series. Minnesota had been there four years before, but both teams had been in last place in 1990. So it was a it was a shocking matchup and an exciting matchup. You know, you had this young Braves team that people were just getting to know. You had Kirby Puckett and Jack Morris and and Kent Herbeck and a lot of uh, engaging sort of Twins players. And all the games were close except Game Five, and the home team won every game. So there was this energy in, in the ballparks. I, I, I wasn't there. I didn't see it on TV. But it's, it's so loud in the Metrodome. Then you get to game six, twins facing elimination. Um, Kirby Puckett hits a walk-off home run, makes a great catch. Game seven, Jack Morris throws the shutout in 10 innings. They win it on a walk-off hit. First time that series had ended on a hit in 31 years. So it was Hall of Famers doing Hall of Fame things. Um, strategy, excitement, a, a great backstory. Um, I go 1991. So this is only 30 years ago, and you just said something that I want to make sure the audience hears again. Jack Morris started the game and went 10 innings. Mm -hmm. And is that to you as you were going through the World Series? Because what was always shocking to us in the front office, the biggest change was what was expected out of pitchers from 1910 to 1950 to 1990 to 2020, or my last year in the game was 2017, and how the expectations for what you wanted out of your starting pitcher had gone down so significantly. Is that to you as you looked over the World Series? Because this book really takes a 30,000 foot look where you can sort of think about all the World Series and compare them. Is, is your view like mine that pitching is what's changed the most? Absolutely, David. I mean, you know, you look at, at the, the 60s, um, let's say 62 to 71, each of the clinchers uh, for those 10 years was a complete game. You know, the starter would, would get on the mound and finish what what he, he what he set out to do. Um, those Ralph Terry, Koufax a couple times, Gibson a couple times, um, a couple of uh, Orioles, McNally and Cuellar, Steve Blass. I mean, Jerry Koosman, we had we had these these. Big aces who, you know, I, Tom Seaver didn't pitch the elimination game. He pitched a 10 inning um, win in, the, in, in that 69 World Series. So, um, you know, that was that was how it was it was constructed. Um, 70s come around. Raleigh Fingers um, was awesome. He was getting outs early in the game, late in the game. I think he got 100 outs in his World Series career. Um, but then gradually it got to the point where, you know, we haven't had a complete game in the World Series since 2015. That was Johnny Cueto. We haven't had a, a finishing complete game in the World Series since your guy, Josh Beckett, shut out the Yankees on short rest. That was 19 years ago. So that's the reason that the Braves uh, only won one World Series, because their starting pitchers were really, really good in those World Series. It wasn't just that they were good in the regular season. Like They did pretty well on measure in the World Series, very well, but they always needed a a closer or someone to to finish it off. And you look at those Braves teams and it was Jeff Reardon or it was Mark Wollers or, or, or um, John Rocker or uh, Charlie Lee ran a couple of times, Alejandro Pena. They just had a lot of different guys, Greg McMichael, guys who, who, um, you know, were good pitchers, but just didn't get it done when they needed serviceable them. is what we call serviceable, them. but never like that <laughs> lockdown. I mean, Wollers was locked down in 95 and then until Jim Laird hit the home run in 96, but they didn't have a Rivera. They didn't have a, Giants bullpen of the 2010s, um, you know, and, and Jack McKeon was really smart because he, you know, he told me I interviewed him for the book and he's like, look, we, we're going to use our best pitchers and and just ride those guys. You know, he gave Mark Redmond one start. Well, I'm going to give him another one. 
Um, he was Dontrell in the bullpen. You know, Ur Urbina blew the save in game four. He wasn't going to let him, you know, get, come in in game six. That was Josh's game. So he was really surgical in using, sticking with just his best pitchers. I mean, Pavano pitched an inning in relief early in the series, as well as his start. Um, and I think he showed in that series, as others have, but, um, you know, don't get beat without your best guys. Lean on your best guys at, 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 the, at the critical times. It's such an interesting thing that we would talk about. He always was very interested in making sure that our pitchers were ready to go nine innings in April. And we had an issue with that because we subscribe to the new school of thought, which is we got to protect the arms and it's a long season, et cetera. And what many people may not remember about these World Series is that there's a lot of blown saves and you've got starters. I was talking on a recent episode of Nothing Personal. If you asked 100 people who closed the game for the Cubs in 2016 or for the Dodgers in 2020, who was on the mound when the series ended, it's maybe one person who would be able to come up with those names because it was not who you would have expected. And that right. is a, that's it's such a huge change that you have to put together two ball clubs now. And that's something that's changed for me. You put together a regular season club, but you know that your postseason club and the way you're gonna win postseason games is different. And it's not just more games or more rounds, it's that the pitchers can't finish what they started anymore. They, they literally can't, Tyler. And I don't think it's gonna change. I don't think we're ever going back. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't seem that way. I mean, it's it, no one ever knows exactly how things evolve, but um, it, it, it sure seems like to get drafted and to get noticed, um, you know, pitchers are going to throw hard. Um, that's what that's what gets them in the door. And when you throw hard, uh, you get hurt and you preserve your number of pitches and your bullets. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it pitching's fascinating, man. They're just there's there all this stuff about pitch design. Um, they're throwing more breaking balls than ever. Um, but it's really, Dave, as you know, just a power game. And when you go for strikeouts, your pitch count goes up. You're not pitching to contact. And and, uh, and you have an inventory of other guys who can do it. So you if you had one guy it, who was throwing – if you had one guy who was throwing 98 in your bullpen, and this is only 15 years ago, right? You were right. doing great. You were yep. super excited. Now everybody out of the bullpen is throwing 97 or above. It's just an unbelievable amount of velocity, and it's not sustainable because the arm just can't do it. Right. No matter what we do, and we've studied it, and the industry studied it because of all the injuries that are taking place, which means you're paying people not to play. But no doctor has been able to tell any front office how to stop pitchers from getting hurt because you can't. There right. is no training regimen that allows for an arm to throw 98, yet we as front offices demand 98. And if you don't throw it, Charlie Liebran is such a great name to mention. Charlie Liebran has no chance to pitch in a postseason game today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's sad. and he was he was really good. I mean, he gave up a couple big hits. Obviously, Puckett's homer and Dave Winfield's um, hit to win Game Six the next year in the clincher. But um, he had some really good games for the Royals in the '80s in the '85 World Series. Um, you know, and and there are plenty of examples of, of guys who who won with finesse, um, but we just don't see it as Greg as Maddox. The Greg last Maddox, ten yeah. years, he yeah, we couldn't beat him ever. Right. I mean, you look at the Braves World Series last year, Ian Anderson was throwing a no-hitter through five innings, and they pulled him, um, and it worked. They won. You know, but but I think of that World Series last year, I think of, of uh, A.J. Minter and Tyler Matzik and Luke Jackson and, and the Braves just mixing and matching, and the Astros doing the same thing with Phil Maton and Ryan Stanek and all these guys, you know, and, and no one was really pitching very deep in games at all. 
Um, it was just a lot of mixing and matching and, 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 uh, you know, all throughout every game. Do you think fans care about bullpen starts? Cause it's something that offended my senses that how can you possibly have a bullpen start in a world series? And now as the years have passed, I'm thinking like what the Phillies did recently in game one against the Braves. I think they pitched, I think 17 pitchers pitched for Philadelphia to beat the Braves <laughs> seven to six in a nine hour game. And uh, their starter went three innings and yeah, it just made me smile. Yeah, but that wasn't by design though. I mean, Suarez did not have it. Like they're, the Phillies are a little bit old school. Like they will give, give us, get, let their starters have a little bit of rope. I mean, uh, Wheeler and Nola went into the seventh, which is like, wow. But they did go into the seventh, both their starts against uh, St. Louis. But yeah, no, Suarez, they would have loved to have him go further, but he was just walking everybody. Listen was, to what you're saying, that how great would it be for a pitcher to go into the seventh? Seventh like, inning. That's, it used to, right, the quality start, six innings, three earned runs or fewer. That's not a quality start anymore. That's a Hall of Fame start that's if you get a get. guy. Yeah. I mean, look, that, that you mentioned the 16 World Series with the, with the Cubs and Indians. Um no, no starting pitcher got an out after the sixth inning in that game, in that series. I think Corey Kluber faced one batter in the seventh in one of the games, but that was it. And Kluber, you know, to his credit, like he went back out there for game seven on three days rest. He, he, he pitched game, he won game four on three days rest. He tried to do it in game seven. He just had nothing left. Like, you know, Have they, we gone they, too far though now? Because thinking about how Robbie Ray gave up the home run and it was his bullpen day. And he gave up that home run to Alvarez. That was just an absolute bomb that you you referenced earlier in the show. Have we now gone too far where we're bringing back starters, not just on short rest, but now we're letting them do their bullpens actually in the game and we're over matchuping and uh, analytics have taken over. Have you noticed when you were studying the World Series and again, the book is the grandest stage, a history of the World Series. Are you have you noticed over time when analytics when when there was an inflection point between man? Managers like Jack McKeon going gut and now managers not having the ability to do anything other than what the front office says. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Yeah, that's definitely um, a, a big change since since uh, since McKeon. Um, you know, the whole role of manager has, has changed quite a bit um, with the front office uh, really wanting 
a, a collaboration would be the nicest way to put it. That's, um, it wouldn't be accurate, you know, but it's a nice way to put it. You know, that they, that they want input. And, uh, and since they are your boss, they expect you to follow that input, you know, or else they can find somebody else. But it, it, it there were, you know, back in the day, like, like Connie Mack, right? He put together the team and he, well, he owned it, but he put together the team and he ran it as the manager. And he, you know, he would use, like he used um, Lefty Grove, one of the, the small handful of greatest pitchers ever. He used him in relief um, in the World Series against the Cubs in 29. And of course, Lefty Grove did great because he's Lefty Grove. But, you know, he he got a little cute there. He, he used Howard Emke, who was a, a change-up kind of junk baller guy um, against the Cubs in game one. And famously, Emke had one of the best games in World Series history. And that was Mac, you know, playing uh, matchups, right? He, he thought that the kinds of hitters that the Cubs had would struggle against the kinds of pitches that Emke threw. And he thought if he could bring Grove out of the bullpen and sort of deploy him surgically where he wanted um, against a, you know, a lineup that maybe was more prone to hit, whatever. Connie Mack was thinking about this stuff too. So it's all just information. Um, and managers have gotten cute a lot over the years in the World Series. Um, so that part of it is not really new. It's cute. Uh, that's funny. That's a funny word you mentioned because what what managers what what people would say is cute, I think is predetermined. Mm-hmm. So I don't know it, when when well, you. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, just like trying in. to over overmanage sort of right. You know, get too cute, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I I, I think it's, it is interesting sometimes. You know, when you see like a Charlie Morton come in and is in. In uh, the bull, you know, in in relief there for Houston, and just close out the Dodgers a few years ago. Um, when Kenny Giles was their closer, he wasn't he wasn't getting it done, and AJ Hinch was was able to see that in real time. Whereas 30 years ago, in the '93 World Series, and I write about this in the book, um, Jim Fergusi, Jim Fergosi basically said, "You know what? Uh, Mitch Williams took me here. I'm going to live or die by Mitch Williams, even though uh, a believer named Roger Mason was the hot hand. You know, but he wasn't going to live or die with Roger Mason, even though this guy was hot." He's going to live and die with the closer he had. So that's going to change over the years to go with the hot hand. That's Pat Riley's famous statement when John Starks went uh, two for 18 in game seven of the 94 NBA finals. He said, I'm going to dance with the people who got me to the dance. Yep. Yep. And Can that you hold is. On one sec, Dave? Yeah, of course. Yeah. This dog is probably not so good for the audience. So hold on one sec. <laughs> okay. So one of the things that we're seeing is the change now this year with the first full time. There's no more pitchers hitting with the exception of Shohei Otani, who obviously pitches and hits uh, well enough to qualify for every possible award. <laughs> and, and as you put rosters together, I was also thinking about the way rosters are made and how decisions are made in terms of playoff rosters. But then my head got me somewhere else. And before you go, we have to talk about this. The MVP race this year has to be one of the most interesting races that I've come across in my career. And people are very emotional about it. And as someone who obviously covers New York, is is it a, a fait accompli? Is is Judge getting this unanimously in your mind? Oh, I don't think it'll be unanimous. Um, I mean, how, how they, they the baseball writers uh, set up the awards voting? Um, you know, they have two writers for each of the each of the teams. You know, two writers who cover each of the teams. So you you do have you don't really have a geographic bias um, at all because only two people who follow the Yankees are going to vote on this out of, out of the 30 writers. Um, but you know, the Yankees certainly do get the most attention and Aaron judge deserved it. I mean, look, no one has ever hit 62 home runs in the American league before. Um, I think they're going to reward history and give judge the award. 
Um, he almost won the Triple Crown. He carried the Yankees when they were really struggling um, in the second half. I mean, he 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 was a good base runner. <laughs> like he stole some bases. He played center field at times. Like Judge did it all except pitch. And I think you are going to get some some voters who look at it and and say, okay, well there were 60, 62 home runs or fifty five home runs. He he hit a lot of home runs. That's great. What did he do on the mound? Like, what was his ERA, right? Like, I think you'll find a hard time finding anybody who says that Otani's not the best player in the world right now. Um, it's certainly a justifiable vote. Um, maybe I'm a little swayed because of uh, being based in New York and being around the Yankees, but I do think that Judge should get it because I think historically he was he did something that we hadn't seen ever, um, so, like Otani the year before. But when we go back 20 years from now, Right. And we're looking at the 2022 season and we're looking at the players. And this is why I am coming out on the side of Otani. I think that he did more this year in terms of the history of the game. Yes, Aaron Judge hit 62 home runs, beating Maris by one. That was exciting. He had 311, amazing. Carrying the Yankees, they won 99 games. They won the division. However, they do in October, they do in October is not relevant to the MVP vote. But Shohei Otani, and I'm a convert on this because last year I wanted Guerrero to get it because if Otani gets it last year, my thought was you have to give it to him every year. Every year, yeah. If he he keeps doing it. Exactly. And then this year, he's been better than he was last year. So how do you not give him the MVP? It's not that Judge, he's had a better year than Guerrero. I agree with that, but not so much better that Otani's better is not better than judges better. That's fair. And I think a lot of people are going to vote with you. I think this will be a closer vote. Um, I don't think it'll be unanimous. I think it will be a closer vote than, than, than uh, maybe people realize because again, the way the voting set up, like all of the New York writers can, you know, know, the East coast writers can say all we want, but there's two voters in Minnesota. There's two voters in Cleveland. There's two voters in Oakland, Anaheim, you know, like this is, they may not be swayed by any of that stuff. They may have a different perspective. So when, if Otani wins the MVP, he's going to be one of the best MVPs ever. Like, and so ever in so, the I history mean, of baseball, I liked how they put him in, in the last game of the year. So he could be, so you could say that in the first time ever, ever a player qualified for the ERA title and the batting average title. And he was great at both. I mean, I, I think it's critical to say that again, because people don't realize you don't just get to be number four in ERA in a league. You have to pitch a minimum number of innings. You don't just get to win a batting title. You have to have a minimum number of at-bats during the course of a season. So you can't just have a hot month and hit 500 and all of a sudden you are the batting champion. You have to be healthy and consistently good for one player. And as you put together a World Series winning roster, how do you not view Otani? as more valuable to your roster than Aaron Judge in a postseason roster. And you've now looked at every World Series. Who would you rather have on your team every single year of every single World Series, Otani or Judge? Otani, man. I mean, not, you know, you might be convincing me um, because I hadn't thought about it in, in that view. Like in a short in a short series, of course, though, really, right? Because, I mean, he's going to start twice um, and he's going to be in your lineup for, you know, four or five at-bats every game. So he can, you know, have an outsized impact because, you know, he's starting two out of the first five games, let's say. Um, 
and, and, he, and he's get two for up. one. That's the whole point about what his value is and why I was yeah. frustrated when he signed a $30 million deal. And I always come out on the side of, of management. I'm pro management because that's, that's right. my background. But what an underpay when he's allowed to compare himself to free agents and he's settling for $30 million in arbitration. That's not rational to me because as I put together a roster, which I've done many times, he fills two spots for me. Mm-hmm. And he fills well, he them in a maximum way. It's interesting to me how the Angels stars um, have not yet have still not yet wielded their power. Um, like if Mike Trout wanted to make noise and and get out of town and he was sick of the losing, whatever he, he could. I mean, he's Mike Trout. He's amazing. Um, yes, he's he's signed for a long time, but I think you could find a place to put him um, if he complained his way. I think he doesn't. So player um, empowerment in MLB is not a thing the way it is not, in the right, NBA. Shelly Otani could have said, you know what, in arbitration, I, I want $50 million. And, they could, you know, th- there's no there's no comp for him. He could have tried to force his way out for the last year. And he still may not sign when he's a free agent. Um, but the Angels now have the longest playoff drought tied with Detroit. And it's just amazing that Trout and Otani are so great and the Angels can't figure it out. But they like it there. I understand. It's a great place to play. Um, but if they really want it out, they could they could make that situation really comfortable. So I can't let you go without talking about the Yankees and their run in October that they're trying to start right now. And I'm going to put you on the spot. Who do you have winning the uh, the pennant in the American League and the National League? Um, I love I love to have, say something weird, something different. Um, but I mean, Houston and the Dodgers are so good that I feel like to pick against them is kind of a reach, you know, I, I think if we're going what's most likely, it's most likely it's going to be Houston and the Dodgers because they're clearly the two best teams. Um, you know, then you, set, then you set it up to be like, you know, the grudge match from 17 and all that. But I would try to look at it like, you know, which is the best team of this era? Because they've both dominated this era. What do you do with Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman if the Yankees do not make it to the World Series? If you're running the Yankees? Yeah, I, I don't. I, I can't imagine that they're the problem. I mean, they're this is an organization that's been to the playoffs every year. That Boone has been there. They've they've had ninety nine hundred win seasons. Um, you know, several times with them. I think he connects well with the players. He does. He does what the what they pay him to do, right? To win a hundred games and keep the players happy, present a good face in public, and you know, utilize the uh, the tools the front office gives them, meaning the analytics and the players. So. I don't see any area where Boone has not um, earned another shot. And Cashman, Cashman's one of the deans of GMs, man. Like he, he, uh, yes, they haven't won a title. They haven't been to the series since 09. Everybody knows that. Um, they've gotten close and they take their shot. So I think that the Yankees will have to figure something out here because if they don't get past Houston, they're going to have to recognize that Houston's a better team, which I think they've been the whole season. And that's something New York fans. And I just think about the difference between George and Hal, right? Steinbrenner. George Steinbrenner would not have gone this long without doing something, however irrational it may have been. And Hal spends a lot of time trying not to be George, but he may have to do a little George now. Exactly, right. I mean, you know, I think Hal... um, recognize that you know the best of george was was the way he he put money into the operation and he, he created an incredible business empire um with the yankees and so i think i think hal is is motivated to keep that great business model and that great product um without the damaging uh, corrosive kind of 
management style that George has, the impulses, the impulsiveness. Um, so, but you know, they haven't won since uh, since 09. So a lot of people are are, I guess, understandably getting uh getting frustrated. But I have a hard time rationally thinking that Hal will look at this um, you know, very successful season, which I think will at least get to the ALCS and say, no, we've got to, we got to go in a new direction. Well, it's going to be a great way to see. We're in the middle of October. And if you've got the time, you have to make the time. We're talking with Tyler Kepner right now. I could keep talking World Series with you because I wanted to get into way more detail about some funny stories from 03. But the book is called The Grandest Stage, A History of the World Series. And it's available now. And go get it. Go read it because you will learn and you'll realize why the World Series is the greatest championship in all of sports. Tyler, I really appreciate your time. Good luck and can't wait to see what's next for you. Thanks a lot, David. Uh, you know, happy to come back anytime you have me. This was fun. Thanks, Tyler. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com